Have you heard? 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 Welcome to Have You Heard? I'm Jennifer Berkshire. And I'm Jack Schneider. And Jack, it seems to me that one of the great challenges that we face right now is trying to explain to regular people in a way that they can understand how all these various threats to our public schools relate and overlap. And our goal is to keep them from falling asleep. Are you trying to say, Jennifer, that professors and public intellectuals have fallen down on the job and have not captured with sufficient nuance a message that will resonate with the masses. Is that Uh, what you're suggesting? That is exactly what I'm saying. And I'm not (laughs) just pinning the blame on you, Jack. There, There is so much complicated stuff swirling around our schools right now. I'm thinking about how something like religious freedom relates to politics, relates to school privatization. We have a new Speaker of the House, Michael Johnson from Louisiana, who was just elected. And, you know, getting school prayer back uh, is one of his his big priorities. And I think for, for a lot of us, it's hard to understand where that came from and how it how it relates to the larger fights that we're seeing at the state level over something like school vouchers. Yeah, I think a lot of times what those who closely track these things can end up doing is assembling one of those crime boards where you see, you know, red and blue and green thread going from one picture to another try to turn that into prose and what you've got is a really confusing kind of hash that makes people feel either despondent or confused. Well, Jack, as it happens, I found a couple of podcasters who I think have been doing just an absolutely exceptional job at making these issues crystal clear. Their names are Claire Campos O'Neill and Nicole Abshire, and they have a new limited series out of Texas called The Voucher Scam. And even though it is centered on Texas, the, the issues they're talking about are relevant to virtually every state right now. So uh, I wanted to give some of our real estate to them because I just think they do such a good job. Like you could literally just give this podcast episode to anyone you know, and I think light bulbs will go off all over the land. (laughs) Right. Well, power surges notwithstanding. Uh, We're excited to bring you this episode and you can hear their entire show by going to wherever you get your podcasts, just like ours. Okay, so Jack, you hang tight. Everybody else, I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Voucher Scam as much as we did. And stick around after Claire and Nicole's show wraps up for more of Have You Heard. I mean, it is that feeling of betrayal. To think that he's not even having conversation with us now and has voted against us throughout, we, get, we got betrayed and let's try and figure out why. That's Chris Tackett. In 2014, he became a school board member in Granbury, Texas. Before that, he wasn't really politically engaged and didn't know much at all about local and state election funding. 
I mean, I only paid attention to politics at the top level and at the local level and state level. I really didn't pay any attention. Chris was about to pay a lot more attention to the role of money in politics. Granbury, Texas is a small community just southwest of Fort Worth. For many years, Chris had coached youth sports and served as a president of the local softball and baseball association. I loved working with the kids, right? The things I've been able to do with the baseball league, I think those skills translate pretty well into into public education. So Chris decided to run for school board in 2014. There are a little over 1,000 school boards in Texas, and trustees are responsible for overseeing the vision of the local school district. They are nonpartisan, elected representatives. You do not declare on the ballot if you're a Democrat or Republican, and they are unpaid positions. Chris threw his hat in the ring and won his race. A couple years later, in 2016, while Chris was still in his first term as a school board trustee, another race was heating up in Granbury. A first-time candidate named Mike Lang was running to be the Texas representative for House District 60, and Mike Lang won his race. Shortly after, Chris and the other school board members met with Mike Lang. As we had done with previous representatives, um, you know, school boards sit down and they basically write up their wish lists, right? Hey, here's the kinds of things we'd like you to support. Here's the bills that we've already seen filed. Please support this. Don't support that. Hey, when it comes to vouchers, just say no, you know, those kinds of things. And Mike Lang, as we met with him, he kept telling us, yes, yes, support, you know, support the public education. Chris and the six other school board trustees walked away from the meeting feeling like they had a public education ally in their corner, which was a relief. School boards need the support of their state representatives because the representatives ultimately control the state's budget, meaning how much money school districts get. But then something unsettling happened with Mike Lang. When he actually started voting, the way he cast ballots was exactly the opposite from where we had hoped and asked. And he had told us, you know, hey, yes, I'll be able to support those things. So it, it really got me questioning why would, would someone do this? And the only thing I could come up with, it's got to be money, right? As it turned out, it was money. Chris didn't know it at the time, but Mike Lang had big money behind his campaign. And the people supporting him are the same people who are pushing school vouchers. I'm Claire Campos O'Neill. And I'm Nicole Abshire. And today on The Voucher Scam, we're going to take a closer look at the role of money and power in the push for vouchers in Texas. On the last episode of The Voucher Scam, we made the case that vouchers are indeed a scam. They don't deliver what they promise, and they would divert money from our already strained public school system. Vouchers are a nonpartisan issue in Texas, and they have created a rare alliance between rural Republicans and urban Democrats. And yet, they won't go away. Part of the reason we're doing this podcast now is because in October 2023, Governor Greg Abbott is once again making a push to force through vouchers. 
So given that vouchers are unpopular, why won't they just go away? Who keeps pushing it and what exactly are they trying to accomplish? Claire and I have been hard at work studying this issue, and the more we look at it, the more we've come to see it as a microcosm for so many other things going on in our political climate, especially issues surrounding democratic participation, dark money in politics, and minority rule. So in this episode, we want to try to accomplish three things. First, we want to help you see some of the key players behind the relentless push for vouchers and what their broader goals are. Second, we want to make the case that this issue, education vouchers, actually represents a broader threat to democratic values. And third, maybe most importantly, we want to remind you of something fundamental. It is not too late to take action. We can still do something about all of this. Okay, so to get there, let's go back to 2016 with Chris, the school board trustee at Granbury ISD. Candidate Mike Lang promised to vote for pro-public education bills, but once he became representative Mike Lang, his actions told a different story. The first set of votes that we actually got feedback on, it was like, oh, well, we need to set up a meeting because obviously he misunderstood. I mean, it all has to be this misunderstanding. And then when he won't take the meetings, just, you know, sends back a note, you know, those were the the, the best votes I, I felt like I could take at the time, or it was something along that, right? Just a total cop out. And then stopped meeting with us, stopped replying to the superintendent. I mean, it is that feeling of betrayal. Chris and the other trustees couldn't understand why Representative Lang was ignoring their input and dismissing their concerns when it came to public education. After all, the trustees were the ones tasked with delivering public education to the community. Mike Lang should have been their ally. You do feel like when you're dealing with an elected official and they tell you something, that you should be able to bank on that, right? There is a measure of, I think, inherent trust that we give to elected officials. And the cynic in us might say, well, what did they expect? Politicians lie. They tell us what we want to hear. But Chris thought that because of Mike Lang's connection to the community, Mike would see the importance of working with the school board. He lives in Granbury in our community, in our school district. To think that he's not even having conversation with us now and has voted against us throughout, how do you square that? You see, Chris and the school board depended on Representative Lang to keep his word. While the school board creates the vision and direction of the school district, it's the legislature's responsibility to decide how much money schools actually get in Texas. They hold the power of the purse. So when Representative Lang did not follow through on his promise, Superintendent Jim Largent decided to take matters into his own hands. My superintendent retired from being a superintendent in a public school and said, I'm going to run. So he ran in this race against Mike Lang. And we thought, oh, this is going to be a no-brainer, right? This is a guy who is all about public schools in the largest school district, in the largest community inside the district. Jim Largent was a well-known figure in the community. When he decided to run in 2018 and challenge Mike Lang in the Republican primary, it seemed like Largent would be a shoo-in. But even though Largent had strong ties to his community, he was overshadowed in one key area. 
campaign funds. When you look at the money that went into Mike Lang, it was over a half million. There's this little formula I learned about when I was a candidate. Money equals communication and communication equals votes. Here's how it works. Money buys you mailers, social media ads, texting campaigns, commercials, billboards, more mailers. You can pay people to knock on doors for you. You can afford a bigger staff or any staff. You can pay people to write your speeches and even go to events in your place. Money pays for marketing the candidate to voters. In Mike Lang's case, the money was primarily coming in from a small group of Texas billionaires. Can we talk a little bit about these billionaires? Who are they and what are they after? The two names that, uh, again, were crystal clear um, from, from the beginning for me uh, are Wilkes and Dunn. Ferris Wilkes and Tim Dunn made their billions from oil and gas, and they've given close to $18 million of it to conservative state candidates and political action committees. Ferris Wilkes and his brother Dan they believed they were given their riches by God to then be able to push uh, the things that they believed God wanted. We wanted to get a better understanding of how religious values are playing into this issue. So we reached out to Jennifer Berkshire. Jennifer writes in podcasts about the intersection of education and politics. Now, you know, you see that virtually every state has its own conservative billionaire. And you know what I'm talking about in Texas. You have them. And their priorities are always school privatization, often religious education. And then, you know, the idea that, like, we're going to lower the tax rate on the people in the state who have the most money. And so that's where you see that you have, uh, you know, very influential thumbs on the scale for this vision of actually making things less equal. Billionaires putting their thumbs on the scales isn't new or unique to politics. But the desire to impose religion onto government is a key goal of many Texas billionaires. Money and power is always a part of it. But this religious ideology, this desire to impose religion. And if you if it won't, you know, let us impose our religion on it, we're going to break it kind of a thing really was the driving force behind this. And the attack on public education was a core element of what you saw from the ideology of the people, the billionaires funding this, Forrest Wilder, a writer and editor at Texas Monthly, who we heard from in episode one, has reported on the end goal of these Texas billionaires. They just pump tons of money into PACs and candidates and lobbying, essentially. And they just really believe that public education needs to be privatized. And they've got the money to, to fund politicians and to, to try to get their way. And there's just a long list of folks like that. It's kind of when you look at it, you're like, wow, there's a, there's a lot of these guys out there. Some of them are public and some of them just write checks. Folks you've never heard of, just writing checks. After Mike Lang won the 2018 Republican primary, Chris Tackett got curious. Where exactly was Mike Lang getting his money? When I ran for office back in 2022, I had to file reports with the Texas Ethics Commission, or TEC, the TEC requires that anyone who gives directly to your campaign must provide their name and occupation. And this is the important thing. 
there is no limit to how much someone can give. TEC reports are available to the public, so Chris was able to pinpoint the source of Lang's campaign funds. Individual donations, which is what I was seeing with Ferris Wilkes, right? He was writing hundreds of thousands of dollars at a time to one candidate. You know, that was just, it was, it felt crazy. One person giving hundreds of thousands of dollars to one candidate. But really, it didn't stop there. As I got further into it, you realized the crazy was all over the state. It wasn't just in one race. I mean, they were doing very similar things everywhere, but only at the, at the like house level. They were making some investments in the Senate level, but it was almost all in the house because they knew those were the ones that they'd have the easiest time winning. One of the reasons we care about this issue, education vouchers, is because the way we see it, public schools are deeply connected to our democracy. Think about it. American democracy is a gathering of people from around the world seeking opportunity. And public schools are the perfect microcosm of that essential gathering of people. They're a real cross-section of American life. Public schools are where we try to instill these shared values while still respecting a wide range of viewpoints. But the simple fact is that if they're not supported, we cannot realize any of this. The people are always in favor of more investment, right? And so the idea that we have a concerted effort playing out in so many states, including Texas, to start to move away from the idea of K-12 education as a publicly funded, democratically governed institution is really concerning. And this is why the money component is so important. Vouchers are not popular, but a small group of billionaires want them to undermine schools. After Chris uncovered who was behind the money in Mike Lang's campaign, he started to see the invisible machinery that made it seem like Lang had grassroots support. It made me realize this is a whole web of money trying to buy elections and buy legislators and buy outcomes. Then you started to say, why? The reality is when you look at these groups that are pushing this, They don't have tons of people, tons of grassroots support that's behind it. It's these handful of the mega rich who are driving this narrative, trying to convince people your schools are failing. Texas billionaires are not just trying to buy votes. They are using their money to create the illusion that their policy priorities have grassroots support. And the key constituency they are interested in persuading is rural Republicans. The whole plan is to figure out ways to use their influence to to counter the rural Republicans, replace them with different rural Republicans. And then you think about like how a similar dynamic is playing out in all these states. And what's been so eye-opening to me, you know, there's an enormous gap between the policy priorities of those brothers and what people on the ground actually want. And that there is no single issue that this is truer about than school vouchers. 
At this point, you might be wondering, why are the Wilkes brothers and Tim Dunn so set on changing public education as we know it? And why are vouchers their issue? Ferris very clearly speaks to, well, you know, the the thing we got to do is we got to work on our schools. It's the gay agenda. Here's Dan and Ferris Wilkes at a Pastors and Pews event in 2014. You know, and and bring the Bible back into the school and and start teaching our kids at a younger age and, uh, you know, focus on the younger generation. They're being taught the other ideas, the gay agenda every day out in the world. So we have to stand up and explain to them that that's not real and it's not, that's not proper, it's not right. Tim Dunn is from Midland and another oil and gas man, billionaire, right? He has been very active in Texas politics. And this is Tim Dunn at a Convention of States event in 2022. I like to say the Bible is mainly about politics. Politics is people engaging with one another in an organized way. And all organization is based on some kind of values. And values come from your beliefs. So really, politics and religion are inseparable. The reason why the Marxists did this religion and politics don't mix is because they have defined religion as all beliefs other than theirs. Chris told us about another organization, largely funded by billionaires, that is a big player in the pro-voucher movement in Texas, the Texas Public Policy Foundation. The Texas Public Policy Foundation was started by a gentleman named James Leininger. A lot of the other you know, super conservative voices in the state have served on the Texas Public Policy Foundation. In episode one, we told the story of Governor Abbott going on a tour to private schools throughout Texas to drum up support for vouchers. Something we can all agree on. Parents deserve access to curricula. Parents deserve access to what books are in their child's library. It was called the Parent Empowerment Tour. Who is helping him run this tour? The Texas Public Policy Foundation is an extremely well-funded um, nonprofit that exists to further the agenda of its extremely wealthy, highly ideological political donors. And they have been working on vouchers since they were founded 40 years ago. They're all in on this. This is their do or die moment. There was a letter actually sent out um, by the Texas Public Policy Foundation in November of 2021 that said, Our public schools are Marxist indoctrination centers, and now is the moment that we can free all of these kids from these centers, and it's via school choice and education savings accounts and and vouchers. They rail against the LGBTQ community. They speak in all of these, again, propaganda, buzzword, fear based components, but that's absolutely the same core language that you hear the governor using right now. It is kind of weird to watch Abbott in action. He is trying to close the gap between the fact that they have succeeded in getting a lot of people in Texas really worked up about this fear of indoctrination. So think about what we went through in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder. Suddenly there are protests that pop up 
and they pop up all over the place, including in small rural communities that had never seen a protest like that before. Again and again, the protests are led by kids and people look around and they say, I don't know where the kids are learning this stuff, but they're not learning it from me. I bet they're getting it through the schools. It's understandable that parents are concerned about children learning things that might not align with their values. We get that fear. And a big challenge of being a parent is distinguishing between the real threats our children face and also recognizing when parental fear is being weaponized. The first thing people need to know is just how old this stuff is. You could go back and replace the words secular humanism or feminism with woke and you would feel like you had come uh, forward in a time machine. And so what you see right away is that the concern of parents is real, right? There's always this anxiety that they're losing their kids, that kids are ceasing to believe in religion. They're talking back. They're engaged in public displays of affection. They're smoking weed, whatever. But then you find some of the same conservative groups that we see today right there fanning the flames. Highly religiously motivated conservatives, they see public schools as being sites of indoctrination into kind of a a secular and Marxist worldview. I've had so many conversations with different people whose kids have been in public schools throughout. And they're like, man, this porn in libraries thing and this CRT thing. And oh my gosh, is it real? And I'm like, no, it's not real. And they're like, well, but you're hearing it all the time. And it's kind of got me thinking, you know, maybe my kids would be better off in some other school. And it's like, well, then they're winning. If you were good with public school throughout and now all of a sudden you're questioning the propaganda and the things they're pushing, it's working. Many of them believe that the reason that we're seeing, for example, like so many trans folks publicly, the reason that we have this push for like DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, all of these things that they find troubling, a lot of that can be traced back to public schools. And that wasn't well known until the pandemic when parents started paying really much closer attention to what the kids are learning because they're at home on their computers. And just right there, they found out about what was going on in these schools and that something has to be done because it's not just about public education. It's about a battle for the soul of the nation, for souls, literally. The far right billionaires in the shadows are fanning the flames. They're playing upon parents' real concerns in order to advance their own gains. They're trying to create all this fear broadly of the school systems to enable them to then extract the public dollars out. Because the goal truly is they want to indoctrinate kids in their ideology and to be able to fund their faith-based schools or to be able to take the kids out that they want out into their private faith-based schools means what you end up with at the end is a public school system with the kids who don't have the means to leave 
being in a system that doesn't enable them the same level of support they would have had otherwise. As we talked about in episode one, vouchers would take away money from schools. And in addition to pulling money out of public schools to get them to private schools, Governor Greg Abbott insists that... Our schools are for education, not indoctrination. I want to pause here for a minute and talk about this word, indoctrination, because this word gets thrown around a lot in the debate over vouchers. So what do Governor Abbott and his supporters really mean when they use the phrase education, not indoctrination? It's kind of strange, right? For me, indoctrination is about religious beliefs. Indoctrination is about teaching church members what to think. Public schools, on the other hand, teach students how to think. Schools are teaching more than just academics. They are also instilling a set of values like acceptance, inclusivity, cooperation, equality, collectivism, critical thinking, and fairness. These values matter just as much as academic values because schools do more than just prepare the future workforce. Public schools are one of the key places where we learn how to exist in a democracy. The irony, of course, is that let's say that public schools really are indoctrinating kids into Marxism and and this sort of thing. Then they're just proposing to a different form of indoctrination. That's what many like parochial schools are. That's why parents send them there, right? They want them to be exposed to religious education in that community. And separation of church and state is, of course, a core democratic principle. Is it appropriate for public taxpayer dollars to be used to fund religious education? That's sort of debated at the legislature, but I just, I don't know that that, that the debate, uh, frankly, matters all that much because everybody's already made up their mind on it. And those who control the Senate and many of the members of the House just uh, don't see it that way. The Supreme Court has opened the door for this kind of radical interpretation of religious freedom. If you happen to be a billionaire and this is your policy priority, which is all it always seems to be, you, you know, you have enormous influence and especially at the at the state level. And so this, you know, they they see the the culture war as having tilled the soil and they are going for it. There is a movement that is working to undo the separation of church and state. One of its goals is to make America a Christian theocracy and it is called Christian nationalism. So when you think about Christian nationalism and this broad desire to control, right? The, the idea that we really want to indoctrinate an ideology, right? Onto to kids and onto whole communities. To be able to get to where you can do that and get the money out of the public school system, you have to be able to convince people the public school system's not very good. Whenever I hear about efforts to really dismantle the public system, I want to know what kind of future are folks who are advocating that? Like, what do they see and what does it have in common with what we have already seen in this country? If you're really a Christian nationalist, then you want to use the power of the state in order to amplify 
a Christian nation state and culture. In other words, Christian nationalists have discovered that school vouchers are a legal way to dismantle public schools and move towards what they ultimately want, an authoritarian Christian state. If this sounds alarmist, consider what's happened to abortion rights in Texas and in the U.S. The same political forces are coming for our public schools. There seems to always be a tug of war in our country, a fight between individualism and collectivism, democracy and oligarchy, equality and inequality. While this fight over vouchers in Texas feels like an unprecedented moment, this isn't new. Whatever we're fighting about, we've always fought about it before. We can use the lessons of the past to inform our future. The origin story of public education in this country really happens in fits and starts. Back in the, the earliest days when the country is getting off the ground, education is private. It's something that well-to-do families fund for themselves. But then we're also going through this process of building the democracy. And so you see a lot of people who are instrumental in that you know early period, understanding that if we're going to be self-governed, that people educating people for citizenship is going to be absolutely key. You can't have a system where the only people who are getting educated are the people who can afford it. And so so gradually you start to see that that people turn against the idea that only the rich are going to have it. And as much as the early visionaries of public education wanted it to be a top-down thing, that's just not the way we rolled. And so, so it really unfolds as a kind of grassroots story. Grassroots movements are when ordinary people come together to collectively organize for change. What is alarming about Tim Dunn, the Wilkes brothers, and other billionaires in politics is that they have been very effective using their money to appear as though their ideas are grassroots. It's like the wizard behind the curtain in The Wizard of Oz. It's an illusion, but few people see it. And when the politicians who are supported by billionaires are elected into office, they are expected to deliver for those billionaires. There's a lot of threats and a lot of fear. Like that. That's kind of like looking at that whole cohort. I mean, that, a lot of what they're doing is saying very publicly, explicitly, if you don't vote for vouchers, we are going to primary you. We are going to find an opponent in your district and we're going to Republican and we're going to fund him or her to take you down. Primaries are a lot more important than people realize. As a result of gerrymandering, districts are now very blue or very red. So primary races wind up being the real battle. And those who do vote in primaries have disproportionate power. Need help registering to vote? Check out the resource guide in our show notes. Vouchers are being proposed across the nation. So when did this push for vouchers start and why? This is an old idea, and it dates back to that libertarian economist, Milton Friedman. And the big question has always been, was he just, you know, an economist who had a great idea about how to use the market to make schooling more competitive? Or was he actually all tangled up with the same folks leading the massive resistance against desegregation, particularly in the South? In episode three of The Voucher Scam, we'll shed light on where vouchers originated in Texas. 
he saw the resistance to desegregation as an opportunity to make his vision real. And we'll investigate what happened 20 years ago when a Texas billionaire funded a 10-year voucher experiment in San Antonio. What started happening is I had parents coming to me and saying, I'm going to withdraw my child. Why? What's going on? Ever heard of it? We had to dig deep to unearth this one. If vouchers had been such a success in Texas in the past, wouldn't we have heard more about it? Edgewood knew nothing that was coming toward us. Nothing. That was Claire Campos O'Neill and Nicole Abshire with episode two of their limited series podcast, The Voucher Scam, brought to you by the Mothers for Democracy Institute. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. And Jack and I will be right back with an exciting announcement about our new book, The Education Wars, A Citizen's Guide and Defense Manual. And we'll be revealing the topic of this episode's In the Weed segment for our Patreon supporters. Here's a hint. Jack and I were recently in the nation's capital for two very different events. One staunchly pro-public education, one not so much. We learned a lot and we think you will too. If this intrigues you, just go to patreon.com slash have you heard podcast and become a supporter. Well, Jack, I so enjoyed that. And I, I was just really inspired and also, frankly, like a little envious, you know, that, you know, as someone who's been in this game for a while and knows how hard it is to put together good content, I was just so impressed at how Claire and Nicole were able to feature just, you know, people who are right in the thick of this stuff, who can explain it in a really compelling and accessible way. And, and of course, you know, like my own starring role in the episode, that was also like, I, I can't get enough of that either. <laughs> well, at least you're upfront about that, Jennifer. Uh, yeah, I thought that they covered a lot of important issues in that episode. And again, would recommend that folks check out the entire miniseries. Well, Jack, you and I have our own announcement to share. As many of our listeners know, you and I worked really hard over the summer writing a new book called The Education Wars, A Citizen's Guide and Defense Manual. And our hope was that it would be out sooner rather than later. And, well, we weren't particularly successful on that front. It will be out later, although slightly sooner than than, than as late as it could have been. Yeah, exactly. So, so mark your calendars, folks. June is when the book will be available to ship, even though the official date will be July of 2024. That's right. And we will also have a new website up for the book where you can go ahead and start requesting events with us. And yeah, I think it's going to be really great. Uh, based on the level of interest that I picked up on over the weekend while I was at the 10th anniversary meeting of the Network for Public Education in Washington, D.C., I think that even if the book is going to be out slightly later than what we had hoped, it's right for the moment. Yeah, we are hoping that you will reach out, all of you, as you did when we released A Wolf of the Schoolhouse Store and set up book group chats uh, and other ways for us to try to support the grassroots organizing that you're doing, whether it's 
super grassroots, you and your neighbors getting together for a glass of wine and a book talk, or, you know, working together in a kind of multi-state coalition, as we've seen some of you doing. Whatever it is, uh, our goal in writing this book was to get it out before the 2024 election. And we'll have several months to work together to try to raise awareness and try to get folks excited about issues and candidates who will be elevating public education. Well, speaking of candidates, many of them are aiming to go to our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., Oh, man, I know where you're going with this, Jennifer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as it happens, Jack and I were both just in the nation's capital, although not together, because that's banned. (laughs) (laughs) It's not not bad. We were going to different things. We were at, I wouldn't say that they were dueling events, but they were not the same. I was attending the, the big meeting of the Network for Public Education. Jack was at a rather different sort of gathering that he is going to tell us all about in the weeds. And we thought you all might be interested because in many ways, these two events do kind of foreshadow what's to come. And I think we both we both learned a lot, some good and some bad. So Jack, if people are interested, what should they do? <laughs> Oh, wow. You're really uh, putting me in a bad position here. Because you know what I want to say. If they're interested, what they should do is, you know, just get over it and uh, just be happy that you got the show. It's done, folks. You got a great episode here, just like you usually get. You should, you know, go out and tweet about it. Tell everybody you know about how great Have You Heard is, even when we're playing other people's podcasts on the show. But of course, I know what Jennifer really wants me to say is that if you want to hear us talk about the sort of state of the politics of education, I'll be talking much more broadly about it because I I basically signed an NDA. um, but come on into the weeds with us, uh, Patreon members. And if you aren't a Patreon member already, you can go to patreon.com backslash have you heard. And you get all sorts of nice things, including a customized reading list, uh, a bonus edition of the episode, and opportunities to compete with each other in multiplayer gaming scenarios. Uh, or, You don't have that one set up yet, Jennifer. Jack, that was pretty good. It's patreon.com slash have you heard podcast. And no one has any idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, I'm Jennifer Berkshire. And I'm Jack Schneider. This is Have You Heard.